Amazing. Let's give it up for the music team this morning. Lovely little groove behind everyone. Uh, welcome to Light Church. If this is your first time, we hope you feel at home. You definitely are at home. Uh, you belong here. And uh, if this is your home, welcome back. It's nice to see you. Uh, I love these, these Sundays, these times when we have uh, some visitors. Um, but it's one of those times when we can all gather together, whatever your story, whatever your background, whatever reason you are in this room, we're all here together. Um, and I believe it could be an amazing morning for us. Uh, so if it is your first time, um, it is great to see you. We've been going through a, a series over the last couple of weeks called Let's Talk, talking a little bit about prayer and what that means in our life. We're going to carry it on today, but it's going to be a little bit um, around baptism as well towards the end. Um, so if you would turn with me to Psalm 51, verses 10 to 17. And can I just say I'm so excited for these uh, baptisms is, uh, is going to be amazing. And uh, it was raining very, very hard this morning, but we managed to get everything set up so the pool is extra cold. <laughs> extra cold. So for those of us that have to get in. Nice. Psalm 51. I'm going to read from verses 10 to 17. If you've not got a Bible, don't worry. I'm going to read it out. It says... Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in the sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. We're going to jump into this in a minute, but if you'd pray with me this morning. Father God, I thank you that we can be here. That for whatever reason we are sat in this room, whether it's to come visit and to come support, or whether it's the routine of our lives that we come here on a Sunday morning, whatever the reason being, God, I thank you that we are right here, right now. And that this morning, God, we believe that your amazing grace and your love can impact us, can meet us right where we're at, even if we are miles away from you. Or even if we are stumbling after you, God, I thank you that this morning is a morning that could change our lives. God, I thank you for your presence in this place. I pray that this is your word from your heart, not my ideas, but from your heart. We thank you, God, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wonder, has anyone ever got themselves into a situation uh, where they maybe did something wrong or they got themselves stuck and they couldn't fix it by themselves. Have you ever got into that situation? You have. Have you ever been in one of those times when you do something wrong, you get yourself caught in a situation, and the only person that can help you is the one person that's going to be angry that you're in the situation in the first place? I remember when I was about seven years old, and I might have been young, but I think I was seven years old, and uh, I ended up going to this, like, 
party. It was in a place like this, like a big rented hall. And it was just me and my dad that went. And it must have been like someone's, like, I don't know, like 50th or something. Loads of random people there. It was super boring. And I remember, I remember there was a, there was like a group of, of kids. We were all like seven years old. The mutual, this is super boring, look we gave to each other. And like the party was going on and obviously these type of nights you just spend doing things, getting told off for them, trying something else, getting told off for that and then trying something else. That's usually how these type of nights went for me. And I remember this little group of us, like the kids that were bored after we'd thrown enough food at people or tried to tie people's shoelaces together or whatever we were getting up to that evening, we decided let's go outside. So I think I pestered my dad so much, like, can I go outside? No, can I go outside? I think after a while, like, go, just go outside now. And me and this little crew of guys, we went outside. And there was this really steep hill, like a big grass hill. And obviously, seven years old, your mom's still dressing you at this point. So I had like a lovely smart shirt on, probably from Next. My little Clark's original shoes on. Or hush puppies, one of the two. And uh, looking, as mum would say, oh, you look handsome. (laughs) Looking handsome, as every other seven-year-old is told. Uh, And uh, us little crew of handsome seven-year-olds go outside. And it hadn't been raining, but it was a little bit wet outside. Um, No, it had been raining, but it wasn't raining at the moment. So it was a little bit wet outside. And I remember after we'd played around and tried climbing whatever we could climb, a few of us looked up to this hill and we were like, oh, let's go up this hill. I remember we started to climb and because it was wet, it was a little bit slippy. Ten minutes go by and we just had resorted to standing at the top and sliding down as fast as we could. Now, obviously, handsome little Dan, when he was seven, <laughs> with my lovely smart shirt on, it wasn't white anymore. It turned very, very brown. We were covered and covered in mud in our hair, in our ears, in our eyes. It was like we were just covered in mud. It was the best thing ever. Beat that birthday party anyway, I'll tell you that. And I remember this little crew of us, we were like, right, we are screwed. Like, boys, we are screwed. I I remember us going into the bathroom. And uh, we'd like snuck in. Obviously, there was one of them. Like, no one's looking. We all like get into the toilet. We're trying to like clean ourselves best as we can. Like there is mud in the in the bathroom on the floor. There's mud on the the sinks. There's mud on the mirror. We were not clean at all. Like, have you ever seen a kid who's thought they've got away with something and it's clear they have definitely not got away with it? Well, that was where we are. And then there was a moment. And I knew that the only person that could probably do anything about this was the one person I was, knew was going to kick off. That I was totally muddy. So we all decided, boys, we're done. We just got go, to go tell our dads. So I remember going in, covered in mud, saying, fell down, <laughs> fell down the hill. <laughs> Don't know how it happened, we fell down the hill. Anyway wasn't mad happy. And um, I remember it, it, when we got home, and some of you may relate to this, it's that thing where you stand outside at the back door like, <laughs> you know the look, don't you, where the kids are like, and then your dad gets the hose. 
You know it, don't you? It gets the hose. Just nailing me down with the hose, yeah. Freezing cold at night. Like, no, that's enough. Stop. Nah. Turn around. Ah, nah, nah, I'm done. Fine. And then you go put your stuff in the washroom. I remember being in one of those situations. And so often in our lives, our life can follow that exact same journey. Often we can relate to that situation more than we think. Time and time again, we get ourselves into these situations that we try and figure out on our own. Times when we might screw up in life or times that we trip up or something comes along. Maybe you're distracted in life and you end up doing something you shouldn't have done. Or maybe you just find yourself in a situation that you never expected to be in. And our instinct is to go and try and clean it up on our own. When really, the one person that can help us out, the one person that can offer freedom, the one person that can actually see us restored in life, is there saying, I desperately want to know you. You know, God is in heaven. He's saying, I really want a relationship with you. I really want to put purpose into you. I really want to see you be free to live a life of wholeness. And we try and do it on our own. Whether it's because we think we don't need God or whether it's because we think we can do it on our own. But so often, whether you have faith or whether this is completely new to you, we all do it. We try and fix things on our own. 99% of the time, we make it worse. If not 100% of the time. See, this passage I just read from Psalm 51 follows a really, really interesting event. The guy who wrote it was a guy called King David. He was a mighty, mighty king. He was feared. He was respected. He was completely revered. Like, People knew King David. No one wanted to mess with him. People knew that God was on his side. So people, when they knew they were coming up against King David, they were terrified. And one day, David was in his palace, and he sees a woman that wasn't his wife. And he decides that he wants to sleep with her. And he ends up going through with it. And to cover it up, he tries to fix it on his own. He gets... This woman's husband, and he sends him out into battle, and he, he puts him in a place where he would die. So he covers it up on his own. He thinks he's got away with it. And uh, it's interesting because David, he wrote this psalm right after this had happened. It was in a moment where he'd kind of realized, like, ah, oh, I've fallen short. But what's interesting is, in that day, Culturally, kings could do whatever they wanted. So if you were a king, actually it was completely common practice for you to see a woman and then have them as a wife regardless of her will, regardless of her situation, no matter what. I mean, that was like common practice for kings. So other kings that would read this psalm and David's like coming, he's like broken about what he's done. Other kings would read this and be like, What's the guy doing? Like, this is normal practice. See, he, he prays this prayer once he realizes he's broken. And there's a couple of things about this prayer that I think we can learn. Some couple ingredients in what he prayed that can really help us in our lives, that can help 
change the way that we walk, change the way we relate to each other, change how fulfilled we are in our life. The first thing, the first part of David's prayer, it was a prayer of alignment. Listen to this, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create in me a pure heart. See, this was David realizing he'd screwed up and saying, God, I just want to be back in line with you. I I just want to be in the right place. You see, he hadn't fallen short really by man's standards, by like cultural standards. He was fine. But actually, he knew that before God, there was so much more he could be. There was another level he could live to. And David wrote this, saying, God, I just want to be back in line with you. Create in me that pure heart. It's interesting. The word he uses for the word create in Hebrew is the same word used back in Genesis when God created the, uh, the earth. And it isn't a word like they gathered some things and put it together. The word means from nothing. So when God created the, the earth, it wasn't from stuff. It was from nothing that he spoke it into motion. And David's using the same word like, God, I haven't got anything for you to use. I need you to put some stuff in me. I, I need you to help create a new future for me, a new purpose for me, a new wholeness in me. From the brokenness that I got from nothing, I need you to create this in me. See, it's interesting that on our own, we try and strive, don't we? We try and strive to get things right. We try and strive for things to be better. Or we try and strive to feel fulfilled or to feel whole. We might look for it in alcohol. We might look for it in drugs. We might look for it in esteem or in a job or in a car or in money or in all this stuff. But really, the answer is not inside us at all. You hear people say this. It's often a thing thrown around on social media, like everything is inside you. The answer's within you. But the irony is, that's exactly where we go wrong. Is when we start to believe that the answer's inside us. Because we're broken. On our own, we mess up. We screw up. The very point of this is that the answer is not in us. Listen to this passage, Ephesians 1.7. It says, in him... We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. It's not in us that we find freedom. It's actually by saying, you know what? I can't do this on my own. God, I want you to do something in me. I want you to let me be free from guilt, from shame, from loneliness, from sickness, all this stuff. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because we hear this a lot saying, like, Jesus' name is above sickness. It's above depression. It's above loneliness. And we say this, but sometimes do we know what that means? Because often people will say that and then get disheartened when they're not free from the thing they thought they would be free from. But actually to be free from something like depression or free from something like sickness or free from something like loneliness doesn't necessarily to not be in it. But it means that the sting of it, it just can't get to you anymore. That that thing cannot affect your future. It cannot affect your freedom. It cannot affect your purpose. It cannot affect your worth. It means that every day you can wake up knowing that there is a higher calling on your life. That there is more purpose in your life. That there is someone that loves you no matter what. 
That's what being free from something looks like. It means not carrying it around every single day, using it as your identity, being like, ah, this is how life is always going to be. Instead, it's being able to look at it and say, this is the stuff I carry around. This is the brokenness I carry around. But God can do something amazing in the middle. That's what freedom looks like. So the answer's not inside us. The answer, it says in Ephesians, is in him, in Jesus. See, David's desire was for God. He just wanted to be in line. God, I cannot do this on my own. I screw up on my own. Nothing works out when I do it on my own. I just need you to help. I wonder if some of us in this room this morning need to pray a prayer like that, a prayer of alignment. Maybe for the first time. Maybe, God, I've been living my whole life without you, but it's time I just want to follow you. Or maybe you've been following God for many years, like David had. Maybe you find yourself in a position right now where you just think, I need to fall back in line with you. Help me experience future and purpose and freedom. So it was a prayer of alignment. The second thing, it was a prayer of purpose. Listen to this. It says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Interesting. So David's praying, like God, I don't want to live under guilt and shame anymore. I actually want to live under you. Why? Listen, he says, so I can teach others how to find this freedom. So I can teach others how to find restoration like this. See, he pleads with God to restore him. Not necessarily for him, but for others. I think that's quite profound. Listen, how often do we pray prayers like this? Maybe when you're in a jam, when things go in not how you expected, and all of a sudden you get to a place where you go, I, I think I better pray now. And we pray And we ask God to deliver us from it so we can be free and then get on with life. Hey, I've prayed these prayers many times. When I'm like, God, just deliver me from this. Like, just get me out of this and then I can crack on. We see David understood that miracles are always supposed to move. Miracles are always supposed to move. A miracle in your life, a breakthrough in your life, a big change in your life, when God does something in it, it's not meant for you to just sit, say thank you, and crack on. Like so many of us do. But actually, He wants to take that pain that you've been going through and turn it into purpose. Turn it into a platform for you to help other people. See, God will deliver you from your situation. He'll deliver you in your situation. But to something else. But how many of us are so caught up on the pain that he's delivering us from. Rather than the future and the potential and the purpose that he's delivering us to. We get so caught up don't we on the stuff. Like, like God I'm carrying all this around and we just pray and we pray and we pray. And God I need you to help me with this. And rather than our prayer being God. This is all the stuff I'm dealing with. I am so lonely. I am so terrified every time I leave the house. Oh God, I don't know if I can deal with this marriage anymore. I don't know if I can deal with raising these kids anymore. I don't know what this is supposed to look like. 
rather than our prayer being, God, this is what I got. Help me to find my future through this. Help use this for purpose in my life. When I thought I could be nothing, God, help me become something. Because that's a promise. God will always turn your pain into purpose. The only thing is you have to let him. Hey, he is not going to come in and rough you around and say, hey, all the stuff you're going through, let's do something with it. No. He's just waiting there saying, hey, just give it to me. All that stuff you're dealing with, just give it to me. And let me use it for your future. Listen to this, Acts 16, 26. This passage, there was a guy called Paul. He wrote a lot of the books in the New Testament. And he, um, he was preaching about Jesus, and a lot of people did not like to hear this. So in the time, they threw him into prison, and they would beat him. And we pick up in this passage, listen to this, it says, Suddenly, there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. So context this passage, Paul's in prison. He's in a prison. There are loads of people in prison. People that have done stuff wrong. People that deserve to be in prison. Paul is in prison. There are people praying for him. And all of a sudden, God sends this earthquake. It shakes the prison doors. But it doesn't just say that Paul's prison doors swung open and his chains fell off. It said that all the prison doors and all the chains fell off. Because so often in your life, A move of God in your life isn't just for you. It's for the people around you. It's for the people around you desperately seeking that freedom, desperately seeking that purpose. That is why God wants to work in your life, is to work through you for other people. See, David knew that God wasn't just going to do it for him. But he knew that God could do it for him and make him a light to so many people. I don't know about you, but that is encouraging to me. That when I go through something, it's not for nothing. That God can actually turn my pain, my brokenness into something for His glory. To help set other people free. Changes the perspective when we face stuff, doesn't it? Are we willing to pray prayers of purpose like that? Or are we so caught up with the pain that we forget about all the purpose? So David was praying. His prayer was a prayer of alignment. His prayer was a prayer of purpose. And finally, his prayer was a prayer of intimacy. Listen to this. He says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise See, David demonstrates his intimacy with God here, his desire for a relationship with God. See, David knows a thing or two about going through the motions. So David, in that time, he was very, very, very wealthy. And see, often for, like, temples that would be local to the place, kings would sponsor big feasts, and they would sponsor these big worship ceremonies and stuff like that. And David's praying this prayer like, look, God, Like, I know people are required to do this, but so many people, including himself, would do it because they think it's the right thing to do. They go through the motions. 
And David, he just knows. He's like, God, you don't care about all the stuff. You're after my heart. See, and this puts stuff into perspective for us. See, his prayer, he knows that what the right thing to do is. He knows what it's supposed to look like. He knows what being a good person looks like. He knows what being a Christian looks like. But he's acknowledging, God, you don't want me to just do the right thing. You want me to be the right guy. You want me to have the right heart. See, when you pray, does it feel like religion? Or does it feel like you really know who God is? Does it feel like you're going through the motions and praying because you know you have to pray? Or maybe you're, you think about God and you think about living a good life and all that stuff is fine. But if you think that's the thing that's going to help you get closer to God, you might as well not. Because it's one thing to know a lot about God and to know a lot about what He said and a lot about what He did than to know that we can have relationship with God right now, right here. How can we know Him? How do we do it? What does David say? He says, with a broken spirit. I put this into perspective. A king, one of the mightiest kings writing a passage like this, being like, most kings would stick their chest out and be like, I am unbeatable. You cannot come against me. You cannot even try. And King David writes these words, I come to you, God, how? With a broken spirit. What does that mean? It means any trace of self-importance, any trace of pride or arrogance, gone. Not thinking you're more than you are, not thinking that God owes you something, but actually coming and saying, God, on my own, I can't do this. I'm broken. I'm frail. I mess it up. He says by a broken spirit. He also says by a broken and contrite heart. The word contrition is an interesting word when it comes to being repentant or being sorry. The opposite of contrition is attrition. And if someone comes with an attrite heart, it means they're sorry because of the punishment. They're sorry because they got caught. I've been there before, like you know when you were a kid, and you do something you know fine well, you're going to get caught for it. And you're gutted because you got caught. You're not necessarily bothered that you hurt anyone. You're not necessarily bothered that you did the wrong thing. You're just gutted that you got caught. Or that you got grounded. Like, no, I have to stay in the house. I saw something the other day It was interesting. It was saying, when you're a kid, staying in on a Friday night was the worst punishment. When you're an adult, it's the best thing ever. I was like, that's when you know you're getting old when you're there doing hoovering. Like, I agree. Yeah. That was a joke. I don't do any hoovering. We don't do any hoovering, do we? We should do some hoovering. We should do some hoovering. <laughs> Attrition is saying, sorry I got caught. Sorry that I have to go through these punishments. I'm sorry. Yes. But contrition is... A deep understanding of what you've done wrong. A deep understanding that you have hurt. A deep understanding that you have missed the mark. See, David is saying it's not just about saying sorry. It's not just about coming to God and being like, yo, um, yeah, my bad, I'm sorry. Uh, 
yeah, I know stuff's going to happen now, so. Rather than coming to God and being like, God, I screwed up again. Like, I know I said I wouldn't. I knew I said I wouldn't go there. I knew I said I wouldn't hang out with those people, but I've done it again. Like, help me to be better next time. How do we know God? We drop all pride. We drop all arrogance, all sense of self-importance. We come to him on our knees and we say, God, I have messed up. You know what he wants to do? He wants to take you in your weakness, take you in your brokenness, and make something beautiful out of it. Make something significant out of it. Because so often, especially in culture, there's this sort of myth that goes around that you have to put on a face. You often see it in business as well when people are super, super like staunch and they're angry and they have to be really brutal and mean. And, and that's, like a, that's what the symbol of strength is. Or you have to go and you have to be absolutely jacked like me. And what? Like there's all these things that like we kind of project in like this is what strength looks like. But it's interesting because listen to this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that actually pure strength is when you acknowledge your weakness. Listen to this passage. 2 Corinthians 12.9, it says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Hold up. So we access the power of God when we acknowledge that we are weak. So we can become powerful with God when we acknowledge that we cannot do it on our own. But yet so many people say you have to go give the Instagram highlight of exactly what your life is supposed to look like. You're supposed to put out there that everything is amazing. You got it all going and then in the privacy of your own home, you can let out your brokenness to no one because no one will accept you. Now true strength is actually acknowledging your weaknesses, acknowledging your brokenness and saying, God, do something with me. Do something with me. You know, as we're here on this baptism service, it might seem like a pretty strange thing. I remember growing up, it was always strange for me, like dunking fully grown people in water and everyone claps. It's like, wow. It's always like, this is weird. What are you doing? You see, baptism is a, is a very powerful symbol. Okay? There's nothing special about the water, nothing special about the paddling pool we bought from Aldi. There's nothing special. Aldi aren't sponsoring this message, don't worry. There's nothing special about like, the physicality of it all. See, why it's so significant is that when someone acknowledges their weaknesses, acknowledges their brokenness and says, God, I want you to do something with me. I want to follow you with all my heart. And their desire is just like David's, like creating me something new, creating me a purity that I couldn't get on my own, clean me in a way I could not get clean myself. Baptism is a symbol of when you go under the water, it's kind of like casting off all the brokenness, casting off all the stuff that holds us back, casting off our old way of thinking, casting off the way we process ourselves, casting off all the sinful nature and coming out of the water 
brand new. The symbol of coming out of the water back in line with God. It's like a celebration and us as a church get to gather around people and be like, we see that God is changing your life. We see that you now have a joy that doesn't change with your circumstance. We now see that you have a peace that doesn't change when a bad doctor's report comes in. We see that you now have this purpose that you're living for something way beyond what you thought you were living for before. We as a church get to celebrate what Jesus is doing in two people's lives this morning. Baptism is such a powerful symbol of dying to your old self and coming out brand new. Let me read that Corinthians verse again. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. See, baptism is one of those times when we understand the grace of God a little bit more. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I wonder this morning, are you able to pray a prayer of intimacy this morning? To come to God and say, God, I'm weak. I'm struggling. I'm broken. I can't do this on my own. Like, help me know you. Help me walk with you. Help me walk with that purpose. Have you come on your knees? Have you come with a broken and contrite heart? I'm going to get the band up and we're going to finish in just a second. David prayed a prayer out of a place of brokenness. He acknowledged his brokenness. It was a prayer of alignment. It was a prayer of purpose and it was a prayer of intimacy. Some things that we can learn in our own life. Ways in which we can walk in freedom. Ways in which we can walk in purpose. And all it takes is acknowledgement. I heard a story recently. Um, I shared this at Christmas last year, so if you've heard it, I'm not apologizing because it's still a quality story. I heard a story of a of a dad one time, he'd uh, backed his car up into his garage and uh, he was changing the oil in his car and, and he had his little son with him and he, you know, the little son was like watching what he was doing and like seeing how he was doing everything and like holding tools for him and all that sort of stuff and the dad had this kind of like big, like shallow tub that he would slide underneath the car and then drain all the oil into. And, uh, as like the oil filled up this little tub, uh, the little boy could like see his reflection in it and it was all gloopy and black and dad said to him like, yo, like don't touch it. Like don't go there, just don't touch it. And uh, the dad like left it at the side, finished up what they were doing. And the kid was knocking around in the garage a little bit and they go inside and a little bit later the little boy comes out and he, he walks into his garage and he sees this tub on the floor and uh, he kind of walks around it and he's like don't don't touch this like I, I know I shouldn't do it and the key can like see his reflection in it like he really wants to just as kids do like like what does it feel like what does it and do the thing he knew he shouldn't do and a little bit of time goes by and his dad still isn't around and he's like I'm sure it'll be fine. 
he thinks about it and he's like, you know what, it's all good. I'm just going to do it. I'm sure it'll be fine. I can wash it off. And he gets to his knees and he like dives his hands in and he starts playing with this oil and it's all over his hands. And after he'd played with it for a few minutes, he decided like, right, I better, I, I better get cleaned up. So he like, he like gets a rag from the side and he tries to clean it off his hands, but it stained his skin. And he's like, I need to clean. So he goes and finds some water and he's dripping oil all over the floor. And he gets some water, he tries to clean it off, but it's stained and it won't come off. And like he's freaking out and wondering what to do. And all of a sudden he can hear his dad walking out into the garage and he's like frozen solid. He'd done the one thing his dad told him not to do. And he begins to get a little bit scared, like, oh no, he's coming, he's coming, what am I going to do? And he's like still dripping oil, it's stained his skin, and like he's going to kill me, what's going to happen? And the dad walks into the garage and sees the state and sees the kid and he begins to cry. And the dad looks at him and he's like, hey, like it's all good. And he picks up his son, he takes him over to the sink and he goes underneath the sink and he gets this special soap puts the sun on his knee and he begins to wipe away all this stain with his special soap and the kid watches as all of the stuff that stained his skin just runs down the plug hole you see religion will tell you I've done wrong dad is going to kill me but relationship will say I've done wrong I better call my dad You see, so often in our lives, we can see that exact situation where we start to go through things and when we thought things wouldn't mess us up, a bad relationship or maybe it was a dodgy turn on some drug. Maybe it was a night out that we thought would fulfill us. Maybe it was something that we thought would make us whole for once in our lives. And actually we realize it stains. And the thing that we thought was going to free us is actually entrapping us. And the thing that we thought would bring us that sense of fulfillment is a thing dragging us down. And the more and more we try and clean, the more of a mess we make. And the more and more it stains our skin. Until we just come all walls down and say, Dad, I screwed up. And we talk about this cross, okay? We talk about the cross of Jesus. And we say in that passage in Ephesians that the only thing that can free us is the blood of Jesus. You know, God this morning wants to take you and put you on his knee. And with the blood of Jesus, he wants to wipe away all the mess in your life, all the stains, all the brokenness, all the things that you thought were going to help you. He wants to wipe them away and give you freedom. All you have to do is, Dad, I screwed up. I want you to close your eyes and bow your head. No one looking around. I'm going to offer an opportunity for you to respond to this message this morning. No one's looking. No one will catch you about it after. No one will make fun. This is between you and God this morning. I'm going to offer an opportunity for two groups of people. The first, if you've heard this message and you think, you know what? I have screwed up. And for the first time, I want to be clean. I don't want to be held down by this stuff anymore. In a second, I want you to raise your hand and say, God, I want to know you. And for a second group of people, whether you're in here, you might have been a Christian for a while. But this is your opportunity to say, God, I want to fall back in line with you. I think I've missed the mark a little bit. 
I've run away from you. I've tried to do it in my own strength, but God, I just need to come back. If either one of those is you this morning, after three, I want you to raise your hand between you and God. One, two, three. That's incredible. Put your hands down. Just another few seconds. If that's you this morning, you want to respond to this message. Amazing. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die on a cross. He lived this human life. He died a human death and he raised again. And now he's sat in heaven, championing you on, creating vibrant future for you, giving you purpose. Father God, I want to thank you for all those hands this morning. I want to thank you for all of those people that responded to you for the first time. That said, God, I want to know you. I want you to wash me clean. I don't want to be held by these chains anymore. And God, for that second group of people that maybe know you already, but they've just forgotten how to know you. They've forgotten how to be intimate with you. They've forgotten what purpose out of pain feels like. They've forgotten what falling back in line with you looks like. God, for all those people, I pray right now that Holy Spirit, you would work in them, convict them, give them that thing that they need to do this morning, that line they need to step across, that relationship they need to restore, that person they need to forgive, whatever it is. God, I pray that our prayer lives would be so rich with these things, rich with purpose, rich with intimacy, rich with alignment to you. We thank you for your church. We thank you for this church, that we can be here and experience your freedom. We thank you for the people getting baptized this morning. As we hear their stories in a few minutes of how you're changing their life, I pray that you would calm any nerves, that you would just give them such a freedom this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.